welcome to a new episode of Carolyn Talks. I'm your host, Carolyn Hines, critic and journalist. And this is the podcast slash YouTube channel where I talk to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today, for one of my episodes for the 2023 Sundance Film Festival coverage, I'm joined by fellow film critic and journalist Valerie Thompson to talk about a documentary that we both saw during the festival. It's called Pretty Baby Brook Shields, directed by Lana Wilson. And this one was a this was a, a documentary. I was like, do I really? I wasn't sure if I really wanted to watch this because I knew it would touch on some topics that I knew I would be like not necessarily upset about, but would probably like get my ire flowing. And it kind of did. There's some discussions if you're familiar with Brooke Shields' history and her past, that um that if you are an, an adult with compassion, common sense, and a little bit of tact and taste will upset you and the documentary touches on that. But before we begin talking with the documentary, I'll just ask Valerie to say, um, like, let's talk a bit about your experience for this year's Sundance because we both covered it virtually this year. We didn't attend in person. And um, I know that for, for many of us, that was challenging, but also it was also <laughs> fun just to stay home in the warmth. Yeah, I, you know what? Um, this is what the third year of, of uh, virtual coverage um, for Sundance, I was fine with it. Um, you know, I still got through the same amount of movies that I probably would have if I'd been in person, maybe a few more. Um, but yeah, it was not a bad experience. Tech-wise, I had no problems. It was mm. really, it was good. Yeah, the, I think the platform worked better this year than it did in previous years because they kind of got the kink yeah. started out. And I didn't have any issues like uploading films or watching them or anything. And it was good. Like this year, apparently in Utah, it was like blisteringly cold. So I'm like, I got to stay home indoors most of the time, except when I had to go outside and take my dad for a walk. But it's, it's nice yeah. covering inside. The only thing that I really miss about covering in person is just meeting everyone in person, you know, yeah. and like talk, getting to the standing line and talk with people and like just like trying out new foods or, or meeting new people. That's maybe yeah. the one of the things I miss about in-person coverage. Yeah, me too. I that that is probably the only thing I miss about um all the travel and all the uh you know, all the time spent at festivals because it, it's exhausting. Whether you're there or not, it's exhausting. I think I was doing like uh this year at one point maybe six or seven movies a day. Ooh, I yeah, know. I, I did not do that much. I think I did probably, I think the most I watched in one day was four, but I was pacing myself at two to three films a day because I was still trying to set up interviews, which, and then I would still have to take time to edit um, audio and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And then I was just <laughs> like, I, the thing with watching films is like when you watch films like back to back to back, it cannot, it's actually like very draining mentally. Like, yeah. especially for us as critics, because our job is to like pay attention more than like the average viewer and like pay attention yeah. to these stuff. So like that takes more time and energy to focus. So like I would be so tired. And I yeah. and then like to take a break, I would either go say walk my dog, walk around my apartment, or I would actually watch a drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would watch you a know, Chinese I, episode for a Chinese drama or something like just relax my brain. Yeah, right. I I um I tried to go to um yeah. you know I like you know pick up a one of the mangas i'm reading or you know something like that or just put like put some anime on or something uh sometimes when it just just got too much Ooh, what, um, what manga just, are you reading spy family oh i want to start that and i know they have the animated series it's on crunchyroll i think but i want to start because everyone says it's so cute and i love like the phone family oh, it's so much things. fun it is so much fun I, I love it. I've loved it since I started it. I'm only on like the third volume, but it is so much fun. It's got a yeah. really lighthearted kind of fun uh, atmosphere to it. But yeah, so I would use something like that to kind of uh, decompress. Because when you see something like um, 20 Days in Maripol, mm. um, you know, you have to step back for a minute. And that's what I did. I was like, that was so heartbreakingly disturbing. Um, I, I had, that was one I had to step back for a second. 
Yeah, the, I I didn't see Twenty um, Days in Maripol, but I did watch Magazine Dreams and Magazine Dreams. I think of all the oh. films that I've seen, that was the most emotionally and mentally heavy and most mentally draining yes. film. Like when I, I there was a point yes. in the film, like I had to take a break from it. I had to like pause it and just like walk around my farm for like yeah. a minute. And then when it was done, I could not watch any other films until later in the night. I was like, I can't watch something else that's going to be requiring all my attention because that film is just so, it's just so heavy. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. I think, um, like I was saying in another um, podcast episode, like John, um, Jonathan Majors did such a fantastic job. And just thinking about what he himself would have had to experience just yeah. portraying this character. I'm just like, I was just like, I hope he went to therapy afterwards because it's just so heavy. <laughs> it really, I mean, that's another film that I just, um, that was a tough one. That That's a really tough one. And, and, and it, and I, I kept thinking, you know, much like yourself, Jonathan Majors must have been just wrecked by the end of that uh, uh, film shoot because it is just emotionally draining um, to see that film and, and just and to see and just to think what he mm-hmm. put into that role. Oh my God! Yeah. I'm I'm kind of glad I watched it at home and not in a cinema because I can't imagine having to sit through that entire mm-hmm. film in a cinema. I would be I think I would have been more tense and I would have actually made me more emotionally drained because it's like oh there's just some films like I'm like I think I didn't watch Twelve Years of Sleep in um in the cinema either. I watched I waited for it to come out on DVD to watch it and I was so and I was just so happy because at the end of that film I was just like yeah no I could not have watched this film <laughs> in a theater yeah and it's and it's funny because. We have to cover uh, these films. We have to see them. Mm. But I also understand that, you know, and I always tell people um, with something like Magazine Dreams, just be cognizant of what you're going into and how triggering this may be, how upsetting this may be. Mm-hmm. And it may not be for everybody. Yep. You know, just because we all watched it, you know, people need to maybe keep, uh, uh, mind on their own mental health and their own comfort level with something like that. Mm, yeah, for sure. I said the same thing. I said, I said for this film, this film needs to have. Um, like when I tweeted out, I said I would. I gave like a caution for it. I said um, it could be triggering for people um, who are sensitive to um, depictions of like eating disorders and yeah, um, yeah. physical and <laughs> physical and mental abuse because like yeah. what he went through was just a lot. Um, but we're not going to talk about magazines, <laughs> but we are going to talk about another that like I mentioned, like Pretty Baby, Brooke Shields. Like it does, this film also does touch on some topics that I think, not necessarily, yes. I, I'm not going to determine for anyone that it's not said it's going to be triggering per se, but it does talk about the sexualization of children. And this is something that Brooke Shields, as well as um, Drew Barrymore, because she's also she also had a couple like um, mm-hmm. cameos in the documentary because she's one of Brooke Shields' friends and she spoke from her perspective of growing up in Hollywood at that time where they like that they're like just the title alone Pretty Baby comes from a 1978 film that Brooke started it was her first leading role 11 years old and I remember I saw that film years ago when it was young and I saw both that and Blue Lagoon and her film Blue Lagoon oh, okay. and so and like when it was younger I had no context of like I knew that it was just something about, I was just like thinking something about this film, these films, like they're fun, but then like you don't feel off and then when you grow up, you realize what the hell, like I can't believe that her mother and all of these, yeah. these adults signed off on this project. Cause it's not, I think, and the film doesn't really talk about this. Cause I think it was probably like they were thinking it were in their place, but the film talks about Terry, who's Brooke's mother, and how she is, she was her momager, you know, she was the only mm-hmm. adult that was constant in Brooke's life. Like her parents were divorced. So she was, she wasn't that close to her dad, but her mom was a person she lived on. Her, she loved it. the person she, she relied on. And, um, and just and like, we'll get into it, but I want you to start first about your first name, your, your overall initials about this film. Cause I had thoughts about this film when I was watching it. I had this on the list of, what I thought would be, I thought would be uh, more along the celebrity, you know, doc, um, a little more 
you know what I mean? It's a little more glossy. It's a little less mm. actually talking about things. Uh, and I was really surprised when it started and what it started talking about. I, I was, I don't know that I was exactly prepared for that. As Brooke Shields, what I knew of her mm. um, was the Calvin Klein act. And um, that 90s sitcoms. Uh, yeah, you really mean um, Suddenly Susan. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and I, I didn't know of her. If, if I had heard about those films, I certainly didn't, you know, it wasn't something in my mind. Mm. So I'm more new of her as this model, you know, comedic kind of actress a little later on. And... So when we jumped into Pretty Baby and uh, Blue Lagoon, uh, yeah, that was that was not what I was expecting. Yeah, you like like as I said, I knew about Pretty Baby and Blue Lagoon, but I didn't realize just how sexualized she was as a child. Because if you look at it, because yeah. the thing that was occurring to me with the film, like she hadn't, she wouldn't have been cast in those Calvin Klein ads if she hadn't been in blue um pretty baby and blue lagoon and the reason for that yeah. was and i'm like shame on calvin klein honestly shame on him because he purposely went with a provocative ad campaign and he didn't go for an adult you know mm -hmm. he didn't go for an adult model he went for a young teenager. oh he knew, he knew what he was doing he knew what he knew he exactly was what he was doing and he was completely unashamed about it because she was 14 at the time she wasn't even 16 or 17 she was 14 at the time when she started doing the um, Calvin Klein ad campaigns and he purposely went for this girl who he knew was yeah. sexualized already in, in film and in media. And like, that's yeah. where, and when, when, when they, when the film, I think when the film, I think the film very smartly draws a line and a correlation between the, those, those yeah. two particular um, situations, like the pretty baby with blue lagoon. And then, um, and then the Kevin Klein ads. And then in, right in between that, there's another film that she did um, called, um, I think it's like Endless Love, I think. And this is another one where Brooke herself, she's again, like she's very young. She's like 15. And she has these male filmmakers, for one thing, they're all male. Yeah. The, like Louis Mal, who was the director of Pretty Baby, was male. I can't remember the name of the director for Blue Lagoon, but then you have, and then the other director of, of endless um endless love is male they're all white male and then there's Calvin Klein's and they have such a those those four projects has such a significant impact on her life yeah. that and Brooke doesn't really say in the film and I, I could understand she doesn't really say because this is still her mother and she still has a lot of stuff that she's processing with her mother but the entire yeah. time I was watching this documentary I was like her mother never once protected her no you know her mother never actively protected her because if she had protected her, she would have never allowed Brooke want to do these projects. And even if she did them, she would have drawn clear boundaries about what was allowed. Like with Pretty Baby, like there, she's playing um, she's playing a, a child who grew up in the in a in a in a house of prostitution. You know, like these sex workers, and they're saying, "Oh, this is how it was in the early nineteenth century in in like Europe and America." Fine, well, and good, but like again, the director could have cast like older female characters he could have cast someone who was older but looked young to play this lead character but no he's like he wanted the child because at that time you had children in the house and uh, working in these um these prostitution shows um yeah. what and her mom like there's a scene the thing that really upset me when i hold this situation there's a scene where brooke as a child who's never been kissed she's 11 years old oh that's oh yes i know what you're talking about oh yes goaded um browbeaten into kissing into doing a kiss scene with the lead actor who's a man a grown man keith carradine when uh, he, just, when he, says, when he tells her when he tells her oh it's just it's just imagination it's just this doesn't count i was like what oh when it to my blood was born i actually had to pause it at that point because it was just like no and it was like, shame on you, Keith Carradine. He deserved the beating. Because I'm like, he didn't need to actually kiss her. He could have told the director, I'm not going to do this kiss scene with this child. Yeah. And he didn't. But the fact that he pulled her aside <clears throat> and said that to her, like, oh, it doesn't matter. 
This is all make believe. This doesn't matter. <sighs> and like no one, no one, and that, and then the other female lead in the film is the film doesn't even really go into it. But again, she's surround. She's literally the only child in this entire set. And the other yeah. female lead is Susan Sarandon. I'm like, you mean this? I mean, none of these adults would have stepped in and said, "This, this is inappropriate. Yeah. This is this is in a, this is inappropriate to film. This is inappropriate to do. This is inappropriate to have this child doing this." And her mother never wants. And her mother thought it was fuck. Her mother is like, like treating her like she's an adult. I'm like, she's not an adult. She's a child, right? And I, to me, I I just saw this entire thing as an example of mothers who they try to get their um live their dreams through their children and that's oh, yeah. one of the main things and this affected brooke's life i think a lot for um well into adulthood and it's still affecting her because even when she's talking about these things like she she's yeah, still oh, yeah. discussing it i mean when she talked about um her her first sexual experience and her reaction to it and you know um after she has sex for the first time losing her virginity and she runs out of the room um, you know, and she's like, you know, I, I'm thinking all these things about, uh, my body and, you know, my body, my own and, and things like that. And that's a direct result mm-hmm. of everything that she experienced up until that point. Um, and, and to hear that someone, uh, uh hear her first sexual experience was like that was so sad. It was, it was. I felt both happy for her that she had gotten to the point to feel like her body was her own. I was just so sad that that a moment that should be very special also also became very uh, frightening for her in a way, I guess, or confusing. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the pressure on her. not only to have being a virgin, but also talking about her virginity because the one, the, so yeah. the, something that she talked about that was, um, a, and it was a big part of her, I, her pop identity at that time, which is so weird. It's her virginity. You know, she was, she yeah. was being sexualized in all of these commercials. She's being mm-hmm. sexualized in these films. And she's being sexualized in these modeling ad campaigns as a young girl. And then as a teenager, like she's not even like a full adult yet, you know? Yeah. And like, like she was talking about how they, she had to, she, she was in university, she was in Princeton and like, they, they were like, okay, you should write a book. She's like, but I don't really have much of an life experience to write a book. And one of the things was like, and like she, I think she said it was her mom's idea, like to add in a part about virginity. And like, she was talking about, you know, like girls don't be pressured into like having sex if you're not wanting to. It was very much about um, advocacy. And like, even at that age, I think she still didn't have the, the verbiage for it but she knew what it was which was agency she yeah. knew about having sexual agency and having yes. agency. I think, and i think a lot of that was like because of her own experiences as a child she knew that she there, there if there's one thing that she should be able to control would be when she has sex but this is as she was saying it's just a small little half of a page in this book which was pretty which mm-hmm. is pretty much fluff because no one really wanted a really a book about her real true experiences they just wanted a fluff piece and like people, as she was talking about, it was the whole, the media latched onto this one part of this book. And they just kept talking about it, asking about if she was still a virgin and if she's dating someone, if she has sex. something like that is so invasive, you know? So when she does right. really have this first sexual experience, she has all of this trauma and all of this. In her head, right? Yeah. Identity with it. And she just runs out the room. And, and luckily the person that she does, and luckily her boyfriend at that time, she was like, he came up to her afterwards and he comforted her and said, I'm still here with you. And at least she had that person, at least the person that she did eventually have sex with was yeah. aware enough to realize that she was panicking and he didn't like make her feel bad about that. But th- what, what yeah. this film, what, what her story, I think, um, would relate for, I think would touch a lot of women, like for us, like is how it talks about how from very young, young girls are conditioned to expect their bodies to be seen as sexual objects, you know, and how that oh, affects yeah. us as adults, yeah. because I was just, I was thinking like, she was born in 1965, <clears throat> Pretty Baby was darn in 1978, the Kevin Klein ads came around 1988, somewhere around there, yeah. and and it was just a series of ads too. It was like he was trying to do this artistic vignette of um, commercials nah. and training. It's, about, it's art. I'm like, no, this is the art. This is softcore porn. Let's be real. 
you know, because he has her doing these yeah. sexually suggestive poses, talking about evolution and all that. Like, it doesn't matter if she's talking about evolution. One of the poses that she's doing are sexually suggestive poses, and she's 15, 14, 15, 16 doing this. Oh, yeah. And it just made me think of how even today we still have young girls doing these very su- sexually suggestive, whether it's not, if it's not as, it's even in, um, in TV shows, you know, like people say, oh, you know, this is how teenagers are in real life. But no, most teenagers aren't having binge, binge no. drinking parties. You know, most teenagers aren't walking around wearing um, like Prada. Most teenagers aren't having sexual orgies. You know, like they are sexually curious. You know, like they do have sexual yeah. encounters, but they're not like have like, you know what I mean? Like people still say, yeah. like, no, they're not. This is how Hollywood thinks young people behave because they're these writers are still living in a very um and the fact a lot of these products are again written by white men you know like they don't understand Mm -hmm. they don't really get how society functions and you know um the documentary itself talks about this um towards the end Mm -hmm. um about uh how young women on social media are falling into some of the same traps mm-hmm. that Brooke did, you know, uh, as a very young girl, you know, and um, that's one thing I was thinking when I was looking at it is I hope that a lot of young women, um, a lot of uh, teens look at this documentary because, you know, you need to understand um, what's out there and what's going on and be mindful, you know, be mindful of yourself, be mindful of who might be watching your content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, I was really happy that they addressed that at the end, but also really sad that it seems like we haven't moved any further. It's we just haven't. a different medium. It's just a different medium. Mm-hmm. And we haven't, mm-hmm. and it, and I think it's and I think it's because we as a society has fooled ourselves. We think we're more knowledgeable. We think we're more technologically mm-hmm. advanced. We have all of these words now about agency, and um, we can't identify oh. LGBTQ communities. We have all of this language to talk about different things, but we still haven't like pro- progressed culturally. Like, like in talking about, like, I, I was like you. I was so happy when they talked about how social media is working now because. Imagine if social media had existed when Brooke was in town, oh. when Brooke was going through all of that, it would have been way worse. Same thing with Drew Barrymore and so many other young and young male actors too, because there's like young actors um, in the 90s who went through so much like Corey Feldman. He, um, yeah. he talked about how like children in Hollywood are exploited, you know, and the same thing is happening now. Like there's all of these Disney actors and these Nickelodeon um, people working on these Nickelodeon films and these projects and these shows and they're being exploited, but you know, but like, mm-hmm. I think the things people don't really pay as, atten- as much attention as they should, because everything is becoming content, you know, people's bodies right. are becoming content, like young girls, they, everything is about getting like TikTok, you know, getting these views and these likes, yeah. and they think that this is um like that all of these likes, these arbitrary things, things that are very ephemeral, like it exists yeah. just within the digital space, but it sh- it's, it's, but they're looking for all of this, um, and validation from complete strangers but like when the cameras are off when they're not shooting anything like they're still struggling with self-esteem issues they're still struggling with uh with mental health issues and these things aren't really touched on and when they look at celebrities and they see young celebrities doing all of these commercials and these ads and films, they think oh they want to be like that but what the film but the film highlights is that we that you don't see the yeah. The, the scenes you know you don't see their real lives you just see you see a poster of these celebrities wearing all of this branding wear and they look and they're smiling yeah. and sultry or looking sis whatever but this is all just a pose it's a facade you don't know that what they're going through once the cameras are Absolutely. off once the lights are on like for Brooke she was struggling you know she was dealing with a mother who was an alcoholic and that was impacting her as a child and she as a child is looking doing more to look after her mother than her mother is doing to look after her you know mm-hmm. and yeah and that's something that I think and this is where I and this is me even me as a critic and a journalist I uh, this is why I've always kind of technically kind of made it my mission as a critic and journalist is to be as open and critical as possible not only of the films when I'm doing a critique of a film but also of the culture in Hollywood too because like 
if we talk about a film that a film that's sexist, misogynistic, if it's racist, yes. xenophobic. Yeah. We gotta talk about the culture that allows these films and these stories to be made, you know, like Hollywood as a culture is very much stuck in the past, you know. Like if you have a film that is very blatantly racist, you know, you gotta question the culture that allows that says yeah. to a producer, oh, you know what, this film is why let's let's make this extremely racist film, you know, like. What is it yeah. about the culture in the studio that's, that they, that they in their minds don't say, you know what, this is a bad call? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, it's so interesting. The <clears throat> one part of, of the documentary that struck me so much, I, I know it wasn't, it could have been Harvey Weinstein, right? I was wondering that where she talked about the sexual assault where she was raped and I was wondering if it was Harvey. She doesn't name the person. So I was wondering if the reason she didn't name the person if it's is, is because it's not him. And it's somebody and that's that hasn't I kept wondering. yet. I kept wondering that. I was like, was it Weinstein or was it somebody else? But I mean, I mean that's look, that speaks to a huge thing in itself, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, she was treated as just a property, an object, you know. So this dude just rapes her and then is like, hey, bye, see you later. Yeah, they don't I care. Mean, really. and, and the thing that, like, and I came completely out of that feeling in the documentary because she even said, like, I waited before she said she, like, she'd never talked about it beyond speaking to, to her bodyguard. Mm-hmm. And it happened like no one has ever known about it. So she revealed that within the documentary itself. And so the fact that she didn't name anyone, I, I didn't even focus on that because she's just revealing this on the in the within the moment of filming. Yeah. So I can't imagine what it would have been like for for Lana, the director, and for every all the other crew to be there and, and she hear this. But she's like, "Oh, I'm I, this is the first time I'm going to be talking about this," and I'm just like, "Wow." <laughs> I, I did. I did really like the response from her bodyguard, her longtime bodyguard. When, when she told him about it and his first thing was, he was like, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like genuinely upset and he was like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You know, and um, for so many women that go through sexual assault, they're blamed, they're accused. They're, you know, it, they don't have any uh, a chance to be a victim. It's, you know, it's your fault. You did it. And I was, I was so happy to hear that he said that to her. It's not your fault. Yeah, you didn't yeah. do anything wrong. It's not your fault. Yeah, I think it showed like the level of trust that she had in him because that was she ran yeah. she ran straight to him. You know, she she knew that she couldn't be alone. So the first so like it t- that was that was yeah. spoken to me. Like it shows that she genuinely trusts this man and that all of these years yeah. that he's been with her has paid off. And like it was also thinking how. In his mind, he had he he had to realize he couldn't center himself in that moment because he could have thought, "Oh, the first time that I'm not with her is when this could have happened," but it didn't. Like his yeah. first instinct was to comfort her and to provide that comfort for her and that reassurance that she that she had. And she yeah. and Alicia, he's the only person that she ever spoke to spoke to that about to, which means she never told. And, him I mean, about and that either. shows that that's that shows the relationship between them. Hmm. You know, she didn't go to her mother. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, that, that speaks to uh, who she felt most comfortable with, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, that, that was the part that, that really struck me in her story. And then to hear, you know, and, and, and this, you know, this still goes back to, like you said, the pretty baby. You know, here she is later on becoming a mother dealing with postpartum depression. I mean, you know, it just, I think for her, that very early part of her life, so, like anybody, so leaves an imprint. Mm -hmm. And in her case, it's just been an imprint that seems to reverberate. And thank goodness she uh, is, her husband's great now. She's looks like she's living her best life. Um, but, you know, it's still got to be there, you know, like in those quiet moments, I guess, you know, everything that she's been through. 
Yeah, those that kind of stuff doesn't it, like even with therapy, it doesn't completely go away because that that kind of stuff plays a part in shaping who you are and who you become because it, it affects the way you look at relationships, it affects the way that you see yourself. Yes. And even if you see how you see other people, like she has two daughters now, you know, two young teenage daughters. <laughs> One of them wants to be a model, and like I and like even she herself said, um, she didn't tell her. She told her daughter no but yeah. then she realized that she can't keep telling her daughter no like her daughter is going to do it regardless so the only thing she can be she can do is be a guide you know and like offer her daughter yeah. comfort and suggestions and and um and a way to do things but even then in her mind and this is something that all mothers and aunts or sisters or anyone who who are any caregiver for younger who says they want to be a model or to be an actress like you you have to realize this the hollywood the entertainment industry like it's not gentle on women at all it's not gentle on young yeah. girls at all and like yeah. like i remember was it, i think it was Corey, like Corey felman and drew barrymore they have said and even brooke i think brooke said it at one time too where like they don't believe that children should be working in hollywood because of what it does it does so much to 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 shatter the ability to stay a child and to see the world as a child because you're yeah. a child working in an environment surrounded by other adults, you know, mm-hmm. and they're and for many of these adults, their their priority isn't to look after this child, this child actress or, or singer or whatever. The priority, if you're on a crew member, you gotta you gotta do your work as a as a crew member because you gotta make sure you secure your job so that you can provide for your family. You yeah. know, the director is there; they should be looking after the children, but their priority is like getting a shot. You know, get doing being perfect. Yeah. She was saying like for Pretty Baby, the director kept pounding her. To, to do the kiss and then even on the, sh- the scene for endless love like she like the, the toe right the toe, her toe the like toe. he twisted her toe because he wanted her to look like she was in ecstasy but it, it, it also that also this the film also to me also highlights how men don't really care about women's perspective with regards to like sex or sexuality or, or femininity or being sexy because but i mean how fascinating was that he was using pain right and saying it looks sexy to create the, yeah to create the look of pleasure i yeah that, that was I, I mean i was blown away by that like that that he would think that pain equated to the look of pleasure mm-hmm. that that you know that's that's hellraiser level stuff though <laughs> it, it, and and, and and the fact that again these films aren't ever made for female for, for female audiences you know they're made for mm-hmm. male audiences and it just shows you how these men they think they're if they think that other men are gonna find a girl and she's not again not a woman she's a younger she was about 15 16 portraying a, a girl losing her 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 virginity and having her very first sexual experience and and as you said equating pain with pleasure and then thinking that other men are going to find this pleasurable it creates this distortion of what women what what pleasure is supposed to look like for women and it teaches men how to devalue women you know and they and it teaches young men how to devalue young girls because like i i I, it's not the object of the documentary but i would have loved to know what her co-star thought in that moment what her co-star would have thought in that moment you know like like he's supposed to be ha- having a pleasure experience with this young girl with his co-star and the director is there twisting her foot her toe on her foot <laughs> putting her in like pain <sighs> making her foot swell up so he can't think i would have li- i would li- i'm curious to know what he thought what he would have thought in that moment but again it's about it's not a, it's about making feet the female body an object for male desire you know same thing with the cat i mean if there's cats. if there's anything good now I don't think that would have happened because we have onset intimacy coordinators and things like that. Thank goodness. Um, but at that time, it was kind of anything goes. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the director wanted whatever in the scene, well, then that was what was going to happen, you know. And um, th- like I said, I think that's one of the really good things about having intimacy coordinators now kind of control this situation especially you know it would not be a 16 year old girl i don't think no i hope you would hope i would hope not you know um but but for adults 
doing these kind of scenes, it is a little bit more of a safety and a cushion that she didn't have at that point. And, but NMC coordinators are still very kind of rare, aren't they? Like they're still not utilized mm -hmm. on every film set. They're still not utilized on every Unfortunately. show because uh, so many, a lot, of, especially shows like Euphoria. Like, yeah, I got my issues with the director and writer, for, the main director and writer for Euphoria, and he has a new show coming up too. But again, centered on on young young women. Oh. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I saw like, <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. yeah, mm, I don't know. I don't know either, but but, the, <laughs> but for films like this, for documentaries, these documentaries I think are not only important because they're telling um, the lives of these celebrities and like people say, why do we need to know a documentary about a celebrity or whatever, like if they write about whatever. I think the important thing for documentaries is like to show people like like we were saying like everything isn't glitzy and glamorous behind the scenes. You know? Her story is just one of many. You know, and for Brooke yeah. in particular, she her, her she was the face of like uh, they of literally considered the face of an entire era at one point yeah. in time. Even growing up in Barbados, like we saw the Calvin Klein ads in like the local Cave Shepherd, yeah. Calvin Klein clothes were worn in like people's magazines. You know, like all of these magazines. Yeah. So like, like they was considered the most beautiful person at that point in time, and she was still a teenager. And I think. Is like for a uh, for a lot of us who grew up seeing her at that age, I kind of grew along with Brooke. Like we can get to see the real Brooke behind the scenes, but it's also for a lot of like you were saying, a lot of young girls, especially I think in the industry, who um who want to be like her or who are thinking like if she did it, like it wouldn't be a problem for them. But like she's saying, she's saying on this documentary, it was a problem, and it is still a problem yeah. because it's affecting her life. And um, yeah, I thought it went away. And the, and the other thing with this documentary is like as like the first half because it, it's split up into two parts, but they showed it as one. The first part talks about her life as a teenager and and how she went through stuff in um in Hollywood. But then her is and but then the second half is about her more as an adult and like how she wants she went to school once she went to university at Princeton. Yeah. Like people like she couldn't get as many jobs afterwards. And because like people, she wasn't doing, people didn't want to bite into the whole, she's educated now. She's like, I'm not just my face. I'm a, I have a brain too. And the film again, like this is, I think the yeah. Lana did such a fantastic job, like charting the course of this film because it shows how, again, okay. So she, people started to devalue Brooke because she, she wasn't doing the whole sexy persona anymore in like, yeah. magazines and stuff. So like they were like they didn't want to value her for her brain, and then when she got older, when she wanted to be um, go back into acting full time, she couldn't get roles because people didn't like yeah. people were like, oh, you're you're not sexy anymore, and it's like why is she's a full woman and she's still attractive, and she's still sexy? Why are you equating her youth? It was with like I, I mean, she was like going to college, mm -hmm. and she's like they're like, oh, we've already replaced you what? within a couple <laughs> months. I mean, like, you know, she'd probably been like, you know, 22 when she got out of college. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, we moved on. What? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then when she started to do Suddenly Susan, like, she struggled a bit at the beginning because, like, she was like, I'm funny. Like, she could do comedy. Yeah. And she was like, and people were saying, oh, but you, you're not like sexy comedy. But she's like, but women can be funny. I can be funny. I'm a funny person. Yeah. And, it, and again, it's about how Hollywood and how society views attractive women, too, or what they consider, um, what's the word I'm looking for, traditionally attractive, where, like, women oh, are yeah. expected to be full, have a full spectrum of, of, of personality. She's not expected to be sexy and funny. She's not expected to be sexy and smart, yeah. you know? She became a mother, also. she can't be as sexy we're, as a mother. We're not allowed, we're not allowed to be in different boxes, mm -hmm. right? So if you're smart, you can't be pretty. If you're pretty, you can't be smart. If you're pretty, you can't be funny. If mm -hmm. you're smart, you can't be funny. You know, like it's it's like all across these weird spectrums. Yeah, there and then when and then when she did become a mother, like she talked about, like she had the book. I remember when the book was published when she talked about her first uh, postpartum depression and how people yeah. again were doubting her and her knowledge. Cause she was like, mm -hmm. I'm going through this experience. How am I not knowledgeable? I'm living through this experience. I'm experiencing this. 
And like, you know, people say, oh, but she's a celebrity. Why is she talking about this? Because oh. I have this experience and it needs to be talked about, you know, like women, it yeah. was part of my depression wasn't really being talked about at that time. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's just like another documentary I saw um, at Sundance this year, which was the Judy Bloom documentary. I missed that one. Oh, it, I loved that one. I love her books anyway. But, you know, the fact that she was confronting, hey, this is the way it is to be a teenage girl. Mm. And the fact that men were confronting her and saying, no, you don't talk about these topics. No, how dare you talk about these topics? And she's like, but this is what it's like. This is what life is like for a teenage girl. And the fact that men were the ones that were angry at her mm -hmm. and disturbed by the topics that she was talking about. When they were actually right on the money. She was she was right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's about and they're they're upset because they don't want women to destroy the fantasy of that of the perceptions they have of women or of the female yeah. body, you know. They don't want to see that women and young girls and teenage girls and even more mature women go through struggles that we have mental health struggles that we have struggles with our physical struggles with our bodies like conditions exactly. like conditions like fibroids that we also have like help um conditions with our health like um heart conditions like if you're supposed to be pretty and it exists to fit a idea that they have of the female body yeah. and the female experience and that and that everything that in our lives is supposed to revolve around men from the time we we're young they expect if you're a young girl, you want to have a boyfriend. If you're a teenage girl, you want to have a boyfriend and make and make exactly. your whole identity be about this young man. When you get married, you're supposed to make sure that your that your whole identity revolves about around being a wife and a mother, like you know. And like when you get yeah. older, our identity is supposed to be looking after, looking after our husbands as they age. You know, like when you if you realize that society's yeah. always about oh the wife, you know, she's like I I want a wife to look after me when I get older. Uh, you know, like that's not what it's supposed to be about. Exactly. So, like, they're gonna confront Judy and be upset because she's dismantling oh, yeah. the, these per, 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 preconceptions they have of female femininity and of women and young girls. I mean, she she had a clip. Um, you know, I don't know. This was maybe from the seventies, eighties. Of this man challenging her because she had briefly mentioned masturbation in one of mm -hmm. her books, and. He was just relentless at her. And she was like, what is your fixation about this? This is not my problem. This is yours. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, because they, 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 they'd they be like, wait, a woman pleasuring herself? So a woman can have sexual pleasure oh. with all the men? Yes, yes, they can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just, and, and, and the funny part about the Judy Bloom, which goes very much like the Brooke Shields, um, Everything that was going on that she was dealing with in terms of criticism, what's going on today? It's the mm -hmm. exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the it exact same thing. It, it hasn't, hasn't changed, changed at all, and like, and that's and I think yeah, I said that in my tweet too. Like the film, like the film talks about her experiences in the seventies, eighties, nineties, but like nothing has changed so far. Like even as we talk about women. Like I was saying at the beginning, like we talk, we have all this this language now of women talking about sexual agency. But I think the problem is, I think there's a problem with how we talk about sexual agency. We still don't talk mm -hmm. about reinforcing um, particular boundaries. Like, like there's like, yeah. all, like people are talking on Twitter. Like you have all these girls talking about, oh, we have sexual agency and sexual autonomy and everything. But then there's a there's a kind of slightly negative say where you don't really define those words where they they get used kind of yeah. like almost in the wrong context like where like it seems yeah. like in since talking about agency like it's it, like a lot of young girls i think now are thinking that if every sex every, every interaction with a man is a sexual interaction and that yeah. they see it as something perverted like i'm like i'm like uh, for instance okay like if someone if a man looks at a woman yeah. for a bit too long yeah. like, oh my god he's a pervert no yeah that's not it that's not what it is you know that is like the person is being a pervert you still gotta have you still have to realize that when you're going through life you still have to have connections with people everything yeah like, yes there are men who only see women in a sexual way but not every man is that way you know like just no. because a man looks at you doesn't mean he's having sexual thoughts you know if, if a if a if a 
And then if a man makes a sexual sexualized comment, it, it's not necessarily always in a bad way. You know, like a man can yeah. compliment a woman and say, oh my God, you're beautiful. And it has nothing to right. do with sexualizing her. You know, it yeah. has nothing to do with yeah. her. It's just like he's acknowledging that she's beautiful. But then there's the discussion where a lot of young girls are taking that and, and running away with it. You're like, oh my God, like you're you're just sexualizing me as a bitch. And like, you know, there's a, there, 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 is, there needs to be a discussion about that too, about how like in having all these constant conversations about agency and all these things and boundaries which are necessary which are good we have to also yeah. teach young girls and young boys how to have just regular interactions with people you know and that's like there was a whole twitter discussion about using the word stolen mascara or stealing mascara to as a euphemism yeah. for sexual assault like who in their right mind would uh, would ever associate the phrase stealing mascara with sexual assault, you know, I, I had never, I had never heard of this term either until the, the thing the other day. That yeah, I had right. never heard that term. If somebody had said stealing mascara, I'd have been. I think it literally oh, stole mascara. Yeah, exactly. Right, and, and and then there's and then there's also like um, and I was talking to a friend about this is how in especially I think like we were we, like we were talking about this earlier too, like how social media like the the film does touch on social media how a lot of what Brooke was experiencing kind of ties into social media now how social media is causing a lot of young people to view their bodies and drew draw view sexual interactions with other people and right just regular everyday interactions with other people from a very narrow context and using like the whole see your mascara like they because all so much of their life is existing online now you know so much of their interactions with other people is online now they think that every person that is online understands this vernacular you know yeah. and like no that's a tiktok thing where people on twitter and instagram are like what are you talking about this and like like that like it's not correlating and then also if you're like they, then there's also the thing where they're like every, they're like you can't use words you, they're censoring almost every word now where you can't use words yeah, like you can't you can't say rape you can't see say the word suicide you can't say sexual assault you can't say rape you know you can't <laughs> You can't yeah. say like you know like I, and I can understand where there are times where you would use a word like on a live as a, as a replacement for suicide you know if you don't necessarily yeah. say sexual assault but they're, they're censoring everything and that in that in itself is doing harm to society and is doing harm to themselves so because you can't be afraid to name the thing what it is if something is sexual assault do not be exactly to name it as sexual exactly. assault you know because you're taking away the you're taking away the power from the person who's experiencing this to give voice yeah. to this thing that's bothering them you know you're t- and you're yeah. also taking away their ability to identify what has occurred to them but you if you want to follow yeah. course if you want to follow a police report you're not going to go into a police station and say i want to follow someone stole my mascara so yeah it's not gonna work <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not gonna work so i think it's like I, that's why i'm glad the film like very cleverly tied in how social media is um is playing a part in these discussions with um sexual autonomy as sexualizing on people too and the interesting thing the way the way they bring it into is brooke talking to her young daughters and her young daughters yeah. talking about what they show like what they can what they show what they choose to show of their bodies on social media right yeah. right and i mean i think it's 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 very different conversations here when we're talking about preteen girls and teen girls and then adult women I think there are some differences here along the way, especially with preteen and teen girls um, that, you know, they need to understand, yes, your body is your own, but you need to understand at your age what you're putting out there mm-hmm. and what you're engaging in is not, maybe not a reaching the audience you think it is. Exactly. And, yeah. um, that's scary and you know i i can't imagine mm-hmm. being a young woman uh in today's thing because you know people want you to um you know over sexualize how you dress the kind of content you put out i just can't even imagine yeah but it's not only it's not only about having the about an audience that you don't want seeing you seeing you is also um in in putting their bodies out there they're also asking as we other saying looking for validation from other people but that also can't yeah and even if you're getting positive um validation and positive 
uh, reactions from people is still in the, in a sense making it seem like your body again is content they're like you're yeah. like you're like oh okay i'm cute so i want this validation from other people but like are you posting it because you're just like truly confident are you gaining are, are you gaining your confidence from other people seeing you you know and like yeah yeah and, and then you're just posting random stuff out of context you're not going to the beach it's not summer why are you posting a picture of yourself in a bikini in your bed yeah, yeah. also it's all yeah. about, i think it's also about context too and that's yeah. and that's how the discussion around um content i think also needs to shift where you talk about context and how a lot of young people are beginning and um, even adults a lot of because there are a lot of women on social media that do the same thing to instagram models or whatever where they're they're and, and I'm not talking about sex for or anything, but they're just like seeing themselves as content. Their, 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 their identities, their bodies, who they are is becoming, is being commodified. And it's again, exactly. ties back into Brooke and all these other models where your face, yes, your face is currency anyway, because if you're a model, like this is how you get paid too, but you're not getting paid on Instagram. You're not getting exactly. paid from TikTok, but you're commodifying your body and your identity right and like there's no discussion yeah. on how that's going to affect them in like 10 15 years yeah exactly yeah. exactly I, I, I would love if they do a third if they tie in another <laughs> another documentary if someone does a documentary on that alone like there's documentaries on like social media stuff but i would love to know if someone would do a documentary on like the commodification of identity yeah media. like it's very interesting the more i think about it I believe the, the Brooke Shields documentary is in two parts. I mean, we saw it like a movie, but I believe it's going to be released in two parts. Is that correct? Yeah. So the, the first part is going to be the part talking about Pretty Baby and her youth. And then the other part, I think it's going to be where she talks about doing um, her work as um, doing the show Suddenly Susan and her marriage to Andre Agassi, which we did not talk about, but you know, but oh my God. That, and then like her postpartum depression. I think that's what they're gonna do. Like I completely forgot she was married to Andrea Agassi. I completely forgot she was. I know it's like, oh, him, one of the most random pairings ever. But like I, I forgot that too. It was a moment. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. I mean, I forgot it too. So <laughs> the, 90s were, the, the nineties were a time. The night what the nineties boy. What a time. <laughs> Yes, the 90s were a time. That, that's the best way I can explain it. <laughs> so many random marriages, like um, like Michael Jackson being married to Lisa Marie Presley. Oh. Lisa Marie? Like, Michael Jackson's married what? to Lisa Marie Presley. You didn't, uh, Elvis Presley's daughter? You didn't know that? Yeah. I was just thinking about the diary where Brooke says, I wasn't dating him. He shouldn't have said that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was funny, too, because my girl's like, Michael, what are you doing? We're just friends hanging out, dude. Like, you tell, you tell people, yeah, we're going to get married. And I'm but she's like, I'm sitting with my boyfriend, and I called him, and I was like, <laughs> why did you say that to Oprah? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Michael's being messy. <laughs> she was like, why do you want to say you're dating someone, but why say me? <laughs> I know, right? But, you know, I, I think he was he was just like so people would leave him alone maybe. probably i think so too but she was like why me of all people she's like yeah I, and he's I just, you know, we we're just driving around in cars we go to we go to events we go to the grammys together she's like he's like why not she's like no michael don't do that but well, she, um before, she says he he was calling the cats too like the paparazzi on yeah them. he was being messy at the restaurant and i was like oh my god <laughs> he was being messy michael was being very messy for no reason Oh, that was hilarious. Um, but before we wrap up, like we like you talked a bit about um, Twenty Days in Maripool, and we talked a bit about um, Magazine Dreams. What other films that you saw that really left an impression on you, or that were your favorite films for the festival? Well, you know this. I really liked Infinity Pool. I still have not uh, seen that. Someone told me they watched that. Was that released? Um. It yeah. It was. It, it's in theaters now. It's in theaters now because yeah, I someone. Oh, so one of my Discord mentioned it. I was like, "Was someone mentioned this to me?" And I was like, "Is it theaters already?" Yeah, was, I yeah. Know. I think I think like the Sundance was kind of the premiere. Mm. And it got released theatrically at the same time. Hmm, interesting. And it's and, and and it's so funny because the Sundance crowd got the NC seventeen. Mm. 
The crowd in theaters got the R. My understanding is there's only one shot missing. Uh. And, and it's it's not the bodily fluid you think it is. <laughs> but I I really liked that. But I like Cronenberg. I like Cronenberg Sr. I like Cronenberg Jr. I thought theater camp was fun. Um, what else stood out to me? I thought the Michael J. Fox documentary was was a really well done. I really like so, that one. It was very different. Little Richard's Little Richard documentary. Wow, that was that was really good. I liked that one a lot. That one made me cry. Like he's also very funny, but it made me cry. Like the part where he went up for the award and the oh, that was the only reward oh. he ever ever received. That he was talking about. I given all of my time to that, and you guys never acknowledged me. That made me cry because I'm like he went through so much. And this was the only acknowledgement he got in his entire career. And I mean, the poor thing, he, like, he was supposed to be in the induction of the first Hall of Fame, mm. and he has a car wreck. I mean, his life was, like, so much bad luck. Mm -hmm. His father was shot by his friend. And his brother was shot. It was, yes. it was just, I mean, it was... It, it, that is a really good documentary. I think that's coming to CNN. Is it? Put me on that, but yeah, I think it is. But that one, I would highly recommend. Mm -hmm. Talk to me. I really like to talk to me. That's a horror movie. Um, I didn't get to see any horrors this time around. I I thought Birth Rebirth was interesting, but but Talk to Me was my um, go to pick of of the midnight uh, section. Um, oh, what else did I like here? I'm looking at my list of movies that I watched. Um, I, I think, I think those are my favorites um, that I would absolutely recommend to somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, Kim's video was, was pretty interesting. Um, that one was pretty interesting. It took some turns I wasn't expecting, but uh, as, as a rule, that that would be the ones I would recommend. Mm, yeah, this uh, this time around, I didn't get to see any horrors. Like the last thing we were supposed to talk, we were supposed to do, and this is the last thing that we were supposed to talk about. This yes, movie where we were just like this stuff, bunny is the reason for all this mess, and we got to do our recording this time. Done with the stuff, bunny. Done. <laughs> Nancy. Speak no evil, which I believe is, is still on shutter right now. That bunny rabbit. Oh. I swear to God, that <laughs> <laughs> I think that bunny was cursed because that was like this bunny is everything that's happening is this bunny's fault. Somehow, some way it's this stuffed rabbit's fault. But yeah, no, I I I didn't get to see any horrors this time, but that was a wow. conscious choice. It, it, it was just like I had to make some choices between one film or another and like most of the films yeah. I ended up watching was the dramatic features and the documentaries I think I watched more documentaries this time than I did the last festival like for me it was Pretty Baby Book Shields um still Michael J Fox movie that was really good I like how they use footage of his past because he because you know yeah and I think yeah. they, they were very smart to do it because he can't talk as much as he was able to do he can't reenact yeah. certain scenes so using footage from his past projects like the shows and the films which is, and I think it was so fascinating how they found dialogue to match every yeah. single thing that he was talking about within the documentary itself like if he's talking about being disabled he, they found some line of dialogue from from the from the show to match it up to what he said and I yeah. thought it was really genius and it also meant like they but had it was still it was still it's, it's still really heartbreaking though is, when he falls is. outside his apartment with his trainer I, I was like I was like oh <laughs> yeah, I know, but it, but I love his humor because even in that moment he was like, "You knocked me off my feet," and I was like, "I laughed," but I related oh, a lot to this. I thought I thought it was just so cute, but I also related a lot to it because of my because as you know, I have MS, so like I like I always think about how one day I might not be able to like fully walk um, on my own. I might need a walking aid or my walk, you know, like my I I do have yeah. instances where I trip. I I, I might trip sometimes. Yeah. I lose my balance and I get because I know because I also get really bad vertigo too and I, 
my hands tremble and that kind of stuff. So like I related a lot to to yeah. him and like his diagnosis where it's like you don't want to tell anybody like when I was diagnosed, I didn't tell I didn't tell much people. I think I I the first person I called, I called home because my mom was actually here in um, in Canada at that time. So I called home and I talked to my mom and my sister and I told and we told our my brother but we didn't tell much people for a while and like mm-hmm. and it's and it's just that like you don't know how to tell people so i like related to that and that kind of stuff but it's a really good documentary i also really like the one he did about bethann hardison like she's something else i her and then and the nikki giovanni um documentary was really good and i actually, I actually thought her and nikki, nikki if you put her and nikki giovanni in a room together the two of them would be hilarious because they're very <laughs> cut and dry like they tell you the truth straight they don't they're yeah. like they reach a point in their laser like they don't care what anyone thinks about them so it was like if you put bethan hardison and nikki giovanni in a room together it would be chaotic and hilarious yeah. but those are some of my favorite documentaries and for the features i really like girl um and rylene and um and and let me see I started watching Drift, but I didn't get to finish it because I had to do an interview and the time ran out. <laughs> so I missed like the last 20 minutes of Drift. Um, but okay. And I also watched A Thousand and One. That was really good. Everybody loves A Thousand and One. <laughs> it was really good. This is Tiana Taylor's first major role and she did so good. I'm so proud of her. It was really good. And the ending was just like, oh, my heart. But it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. So I think we're going to wrap up here. But um, before we go, as usual, I'd like to have everyone, my guests, see where people can find you and find your work. So Valerie, tell the people where they can find your writing. You can find me on The Playlist and Looper. Yay! <laughs> Are you, did, did I'm, you also, do I'm also on Twitter. Like that? Yeah. Which, which reviews did you uh, I wrote about Infinity Pool. Uh, birth rebirth oh gosh my brain is shorting out i know those two but i feel you i feel you you completely (laughs) my brain is shorting out right now but you can also find me on twitter val m thompson and instagram val m thompson yay Thank you so much, Val. Again, this was a great conversation as usual. And like talking about Pretty Baby Brooke Shields, that film was uh, like the thing with documentary studies, you don't really know where they're going to go, but like they mm-hmm. create so many other discussions that you wouldn't think to, to, to talk about in relation to the film itself. But I just love how this film brought in so many aspects of like culture from back then in the 70s when Brooke was a young girl and even now, like how so many things have not changed in the film industry and in the modeling agency and even in just like everyday culture how we as women are still struggling with sexualization misogyny you know and like they're like we have not grown as a society we have not grown as a culture the more things change the more they seem to stay the same as they say so everyone that was another episode of karen toss and today i was joined by fellow film critic and journalist fellow film critic and journalist Valerie Thompson to talk about the documentary Pretty Baby, Brooke Shields, directed by Lana Wilson, which premiered at a 2023 Sundance Film Festival in the documentary um, program. And it, it's a very good documentary. And I know it's also going to generate a lot of conversation when it eventually gets released. I'm not sure what's going to be platformed, perhaps Apple, um, perhaps Amazon, but um, I know it's going to generate a lot of conversation just as it did for Valerie and I, and I can't wait to see what it is because, and I hope it starts again, another change in Hollywood per chance. I don't know. We'll see, but again, thank you so much to Valerie for joining me and taking the time to, to speak with me about this film and about some of the films that she saw during the festival and her festival experience. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Caroline Talks and to my other episodes for um, Sundance coverage, as well as for my other podcasts. So here's what happened, which you can find on ACAST and Babaido.net, which is where you will find episodes of Caroline Talks under because it is technically a sub-podcast. Also, here's what happened. You can go to my author page, that's A-T-H-R-O-I.com and find all of my published work there. Go to my YouTube channel to find the video versions of my Caroline Talks episodes, and that's at youtube.com slash at sign Caroline underscore Hines, and find video versions of Caroline Talks and my uh, interviews with the Africa Virtual Roundtable, that's African American Film Critics Association, which of which I am a part where we do 
interviews with creatives and black creatives in the film and television industry. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Carrie Sanich. So that's A-R-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. And find links to all of my published work on in my pin tweets as well. And for this interview, you when I publish it, um, it will be in my pin tweets as well. And you I will also be providing Valerie's um social media contact information in the description box for this podcast here on pod, here in the podcast format as well as on my YouTube channel. And um you and I and until the next episode of Carolyn Talks, everyone, stay safe. Bye. Mm-hmm.